Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Passing Shot Tennis Podcast. Bye, fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And on today's show, Medvedev takes the honours in Paris. Nadal joins the 1000 Tour Wins Club. And the field is set for the ATP Tour Finals in London. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, we are into November. The nights are getting darker. They're getting chillier. And we're recording. I'm literally hearing <laughs> fireworks outside. Looking outside the window, I can see fireworks. I feel like people are still trying to extend the 5th of November as long as possible. I feel like they must be. Are they celebrating Medvedev's victory in London? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in London? Medvedev's not in London yet, Joel. <laughs> You're getting ahead of yourself. Maybe... Maybe in a few weeks we'll be talking about his victory in London. But yeah, I've noticed quite a few fireworks actually. And I'm like, it's not that much to celebrate right now. But um, I haven't been getting involved <laughs> myself. I've been I've been hibernating indoors. I've been watching Strictly Come Dancing. And I've been baking some lovely chocolate brownies um, and putting some candles on to get all cosy. So what else can we do, really? <laughs> I've been watching some tennis as well. Yeah, no, I have been using this opportunity to particularly get stuck in into the into the Paris the Paris tennis. But before we kind of get into that, Kim, you know, one of our favourite kind of on running jokes of the podcast, Sam Query. Um, there has been a Sam Query sighting this week. Um, he has been on Mike Bryan uh, of the Bryan Brothers fame. He's been on their Instagram stories. He's back in America, so. If anyone is still wondering out there, where is Sam Querrey? He is back in America. I think he's back on the he's back on the West Coast. I think he's back on a tennis court, hitting up with uh, Steve Johnson as well. But uh, yeah, we've we've now got to the bottom of it. We've solved that particular mystery, and uh, yeah, he he managed to sneak back over to the states. And uh, well, I don't know what the ATP are going to do now, though. If he's if he's turned up, if there's going to be some kind of announcement regarding his his punishment but we shall <laughs> await and see what they decide <laughs> i mean who knows kim maybe the fireworks the were the celebration of like the fact that we have found we have found sam query we found him he's on he's on instagram so yeah we found him but um yeah i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad we, we can, we've got to the bottom of that but um yeah let's let's kind of start with well We'll start wherever we, where we can in Paris uh, the only really tennis going on uh, this week on the you know on the ATP tour or on both tours really the Masters 1000 event and uh, Nadal was the the top seed um, was coming in as a, a tune up for the the ATP tour finals um, in London but um, yeah we had Daniel Medvedev uh, become the victor today beat Sasha Zverev in a pretty competitive final actually beat he beats Zverev uh, five seven six four six one. I watched a bit a bit of this match, and um, 
yeah, I mean, <laughs> the second set and third set, I just kept saying to myself, Kim, where has this Daniel Medvedev been all season? Because he had not been in a final up until this point, and you know, through the whole week, really, he was playing. He was playing very, very good tennis. Beat Raonic in in the semifinals as well in a very close contest. But but really, his his level was the sort of level that that just kind of reminded me of his of his breakout season last year. Yeah, it was uh, back to the 2019 uh, sort of latter end Daniel Medvedev. And, you know, I going into this event, I I wasn't really thinking he was going to do an awful lot because I think it was only the week before that he'd actually managed to put two wins together in a row. Um, so you wouldn't really have put your money on him, you know, taking home the title. But yeah, he had some good wins. He um, he won against Schwartzman very comfortably, um, also beat Dimonor. Um, had a retirement um, against uh, Anderson in the first round. Kevin Anderson, um, you know, withdrew from that match sort of in the the first set. But um, yeah, today's match was a much more competitive affair. You know, Medvedev was playing really well. And, you know, once it got into that third set, he really, you know, was was by far the better player. But it was very like touch and go, um, you know, for the first kind of set and a half. Um, I remember that really long game at the start of the, well, I think it was about one all in the second set. And Sverev, you know, was holding on, managed to hold serve. And you sort of thought, it's, I thought at the time that could be quite critical. I thought, oh, you know, Sverev's managed to hold here. Um, is he going to kind of, you know, it has Medvedev kind of lost his chance. But, you know, to give him credit, he he kept on there and, you know, his, his quality came through and he got more chances, obviously broke, took it to a third and then ran away with it in the end. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good final. I felt like he felt he needed he needed a title this season. I mean, I think he's had a pretty indifferent season. I think he's now, you know, 23-10 in terms of win and losses in 2020. And you know, really, if we're looking at that as a comparison to last season, it's not really the sort of kick on that, you know, he he would have wanted. And I think he would have been desperate to to have something to show for it. You know, going into you know going into the tour finals, I think it was interesting in his um you know his post match uh, speech. He was talking about the fact that you know he was talking to you know his wife and saying, yeah, I've been playing so bad. You know, I haven't been at the level I've been at. You know, last year, not even been in one final. So it felt like he was aware of kind of you know that situation, and he really wanted to you know make amends for that in in Paris. And I really felt in that particularly in that second set and in the third set as well, any sort of opportunities for Zverev. I always felt like at the back of Medvedev's mind, he was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to give you this. I'm really desperate to, look, you've had your, you've had your back-to-back trophies in Cologne. I need this more than you. And um, yeah, he really had the the bit between his teeth and he really showed, you know, a really high level of tennis because, because Zverev was playing, you know, very, very well. Again, been in very good form, um, you know, you know, he's been on a, I think he was going into that match with a, a 12 or 13 match win streak. But yeah, Medvedev really, um, you know, really being able to kind of, you know, put Zverev to the sword. And, um, you know, it bodes well for him, I think, going into the, you know, the tour finals. Because, you know, given his form, you know, there, there was going to be question marks of whether he was actually going to make it. Because it didn't really show that, that he was, he, he was going to, you know be there and you know even now he is it would have been just kind of a making up the numbers sort of job but now that he's he's won you know Paris it almost kind of feels like he's got the momentum to go into to go into London and and potentially um do some damage 
Yeah, because I think, you know, before this this week, I would have maybe thought of him going into the World Tour Finals, like just being that one player that, you know, turns up and loses all their <laughs> round robin matches. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of there, just, uh, yeah, like you said, make up the numbers. But I mean, I was a bit annoyed, actually, because um, as a Rafa fan, I was thinking, oh, you know, if only Rafa in the semi-final against Zverev had managed to, you know, take it into a third set, because like in, in the final today, you know, Zverev kind of, you know, his serve went off the boil a bit, you know, he wasn't playing as well. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe that could have happened in the semi if, if Rafa had taken it that far. But I mean, Zverev, you know, overall this week, if we just look at him, you know, he's he's had some very good matches. You know, he beat Stan, Wawrinka, obviously Rafa, um, had a tough one against Manorino, but I know Manorino is always a bit of a, a bogeyman for Zverev. Like their their games just don't match up very well at all. Um, so like he's had a he's had a good week. You know he he almost like you know took away the title today as well. And I think he'll be quite pleased as well heading into into London. You know it's an event he has won before. So I think they're both kind of looking in in good form. And and obviously with with Zverev, you know he's had all the um, commotion off court going on, all the um, you know allegations surrounding um you know his his ex-girlfriend so i thought actually he's he's managed to perform very well on the tennis court considering you know everything that's going on um outside of the court yeah i mean it, it was again it was interesting to hear the you know the post match the post match um speeches because you know i think Zverev and, and Medvedev they do you know they do have a rivalry you know they are you know particularly last season you know they were very much talked about as you know the top the very top of the you know the next gen these are the players that are going to be you know potentially the you know the big three for the you know as part of the big three for the new generation with you know someone like Sissipas um and um yeah a lot of kind of talk in terms of you know Medvedev and Zverev whether they actually get on um or you know whether they just kind of exist in kind of separate circles and um yeah to kind of hear Zverev's comments after the match you know he was again perfectly aware of all the kind of the you know the allegations and the you know the situation kind of surrounding surrounding him and his um you know his ex-girlfriend you know his in his conference he was kind of saying look i know that there's going to be a lot of people uh that right now are trying to wipe a smile off my face but under this mask i'm smiling brightly i feel incredible on court everything is great in my life uh the people who are trying can keep trying um and i thought that was really interesting because he's he's almost kind of seeing all these allegations and stuff as, as almost kind of white noise. You know, the fact that he's maintaining a really kind of positive outlook, you know, I think is gonna, it's certainly going to raise some eyebrows in terms of, you know, the allegations that are facing him and, you know, should he be kind of blanketing them out of his mind in a way of, you know, just kind of doing it with a, you know, a smile on his face or he should be, I don't know, a bit more, um sensitive a bit more sort of a bit more sensitive exactly um where do you kind of stand on that because yeah you know it, it's hard to get away from these allegations particularly you know given um you know earlier this week kind of the latest development really um Sharipova uh Sasha Zvera's ex-girlfriend who's at the center of making these allegations um came out with a full um interview um with tennis journalist Ben Rothenberg for Racket magazine um and really, yeah, it would just gave a really kind of, I mean, it added kind of, you know, it added depth to kind of her story that she, you know, she initially voiced on on social media. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you sort of 
take a look at what she was saying, you know, and, and she gives a lot more context to kind of the initial um, statement that she made what last week now. Um, you know, so if anyone hasn't read it, I'd encourage you to have a look um, to get a bit more insight. But um, I think what Zverev will say, it's, a, it's almost a bit smug. I just... I just wonder if there's like, you know, is there an element of untouchability by him going around saying, oh, I'm I'm smiling. I'm all happy days. No one can, you know, no one can um, you know, wipe this smile off my face. Like to me that that just, you know, to me, it has a certain level of arrogance. Um, and I don't know. I just I <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? And, you know, Sh- Sherry Pover has said that, you know, she doesn't want to pursue anything in a, in a court of law. Um, be it a criminal court or a civil court, you know, her motivation is to like get her story out as a way of helping other people in the same situation who are experiencing domestic violence. So I guess if Zverev knows that she's not actually kind of after anything from him in terms of sort of anything financial or anything kind of, um, you know, in terms of just like pure justice, um, then I suppose he would feel somewhat untouchable. I don't know if he feels his reputation will will survive intact. I'm not sure, but I don't I don't think it was the right thing for him to say. Really, I think he could have just maybe just been a bit more kind of low key with with that kind of statement. To be to be honest, yeah, it's interesting you talk about that untouchability because we've I think we've been um, you know in this situation before with with Sasha's very this season. You know, given the you know the the Adria Cup and all the kind of photos and and videos of him you know partying you know when the pandemic was really kind of in you know in full force in terms of kind of its 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 spread um particularly kind of across Europe so there is that i think that association of that sort of untouchability was almost kind of forged you know in that moment and there's always going to be that i think there's always been that lingering thought on whether kind of Zverev does maybe think he's kind of above you know, the situation maybe that he, you know, he finds himself in and maybe this is, you know, again, just an, an, an extension of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly it's certainly a very interesting you know time, I think, to be in the, the Sasha Zverev camp because, you know, he is playing for he's playing phenomenal tennis at the moment. I think he certainly is, uh, you know, his kind of um, you know relationship with David Ferret is really paying dividends. You know, yes, he he lost today, but the fact that you know he's been in what three finals, won two of them in the last three weeks. You know, got to the U.S. Open final. I mean, he really does have all the the tools in the trade to kind of succeed. Um, you know, on the tour, and 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 Ferrer is really proving a, a very valuable you know asset to be uh, in in his corner. Um, but you you do wonder. I mean, what? I mean, what? Where? Where? Where can? Where can these sorts of allegations go from here? Because it does feel like we're kind of building up this picture of we're getting a lot of the the story from Sharipova. All we've had so far is sort of a, a blanket sort of, um, you know, don't believe Sharipova from from Zverev's side, and it feels like that might need to be addressed potentially a bit more. Uh, Come, come the off season when he has, you know, has time to kind of assess these things because this is this is a situation that's still developing, is and it's it's just not going to go away anytime soon. You feel, is it? Yeah, I don't know who's in charge of his, you know, his PR. I don't know who his agent is, but they're going to have to maybe work something out. And I, I mean, you know, he w- when fans come back to the tennis stadiums around the world, you know, that might be the true test. He might he might really experience the 
the impact of everything in, in that sense. And actually going back to that sense of untouchability, also at Roland Garros, you know, when he um, kind of fled without going for a COVID test, you know, he played his match, he was ill. And then there was all that hoo-ha about him not, you know, having been tested and le- then leaving, going back home. So yeah, it's almost like rules don't apply to me. Um, I'm just going to do what I like. I don't know. Um, He's certainly not um, winning over any fans, shall we say. Um, (laughs) But we'll have to wait and see how how it develops, what's going to, you know, happen with with that. And yeah, it's, it's, I don't really want to make too many judgments. I don't, you know, as I said, we don't know, um, you know, we, we weren't there, we weren't privy to their, you know, relationship. So it's kind of, you know, take take what you kind of are given and um, make your own assessment. But at the end of the day, I can't, we can't know for sure, can we? Yeah, I mean, it's a deeply, obviously, it's a very personal situation. It is being played out on social media. We talked last week and it, it kind of continued this week. The, um, you know, the Paris Masters Twitter channel um, were very, um, <laughs> were very, um, uh, well, how am I saying? They were very. Ab- Sasha Zverev was very absent from the <laughs> you know, the Paris Masters Twitter channel. I think they were kind of in in you know potentially in fear that um you know that was going to be a platform for you know uh, political statements to be to be made um about domestic violence and and I think this does kind of lend itself to the the other issue that's kind of going on at the moment is well what does you know what 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 role does the the ATP play in this if if any any role at all because um you know it doesn't feel it feels a bit odd for you know a player like Zverev who you know is is doing very good in the tennis world at the moment um is gonna is one of your brightest stars will be one of your brightest stars in the future he he is on your tour um I mean do you have to does the ATP have to at least acknowledge you know all these kind of allegations that are going on at the moment you know can they i mean where 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 do you stand on this because i i i feel like we have have different points of view because i don't think they can stand by with with deaf ears whilst whilst this is going on well they could make a statement saying like you know in light of recent allegations we'd just like to point out that we absolutely don't accept you know um domestic violence and we you know we don't stand for violence on or off the off on and off the tennis court but in my view, at the end of the day, it, like it's not really anything to do with the ATP. You know, these are like private allegations that are now being made public. But, you know, um, Olga Sharipova is not trying to pursue them in a court of law. You know, there's not going to be like a, a court case um, that's potentially going to, you know, I mean, I don't know that would, you know, mean that someone could lose their job. I, I don't really see what the ATP like it's i don't think it's their thing to get involved in i mean they're there to adjudicate like the sport they're there to you know adjudicate like things like obviously doping or behavior on the court you know give out bans and such like for those sorts of things but things personal matters off the court i don't see how they have that much relevance apart from making like an an acknowledgement like statement like you said i think that would be the end of it you know i think that you know there's been some sort of investigation in terms of what you know powers potentially the atp could have because i think on you know their website i think they might have the ability to do something for example if something like this in their view kind of affects or damages sort of the brand of of 
of tennis as a whole and, and it kind of brings it into into disrepute um but it feels like it's still very very basic actually compared to kind of other sports um you know i was kind of reading in in sports illustrated for example the nba have a domestic violence kind of policy and you know that all kind of players adhered to by and you know if if this situation was happening in in the nba they've got a they've got a system set up so that player would be suspended with pay uh following an an investigation how do you do that in tennis though when there's no there's no pay unless you play how would you do that like i mean they'd have to come up with something you know similar i don't know like to me i'm just if someone's like pending a, a court a criminal like a police investigation and you know um then then yes they there's grounds for suspension but unless for me um it's going through a court of law or something i i don't see how they have that much power to um to i i, I don't know i'm just trying to think of other examples now in other sports but it's a tricky one. I mean, listeners, what do you think? Uh, you know, <laughs> we're sort of trying to get to grips with it, but it's, I don't know. It's, um, I guess it's like those Justin Gimmelstob, um, sort of the, you know, what was going around with him? Was it last year? Um, but that, and, and that kind of, you know, um, the violence that, you know, was their sort of attack, wasn't it? Um, but obviously that was actually pending a, a, a court case, a, an actual, um, investigation. So, that is still slightly different, isn't it? So, yeah, I don't know. Listeners, yeah, let us know. Let us know your thoughts on that. Um, we'd love to to get you know your feedback on that as well. See what the consensus is. Moving on, uh, let's talk about Nadal. Um, because in more positive news, Kim, he's reached one thousand tour wins this week in Paris. Uh, he's become the fourth player to reach that milestone in the open era joining jimmy connors roger federer and ivan lendl um he did it uh, by defeating feliciano lopez um in the second round i mean let's just say uh, that is an incredible achievement and i think you know for me i think that's incredible because you know we know the you know the injury problems i think you know nadal has kind of suffered over the years the time he spent off court and still to kind of be able to hit a thousand tour level victories it's it's a pretty impressive achievement isn't yeah, it yeah i mean he's only one of you know four people that have have reached that that marker you know jimmy connors federer and even lendl you know now rafa so considering everyone thought he was going to retire you know at 28 or something with with a knee injury and because of all the you know the wear and tear on his body i think it's remarkable that he's actually you know got over that fence and um yeah it just shows you that actually he's had a lot more longevity in his career than a lot of people you know would would have you know given him credit for and um you know he hadn't he still hasn't won Paris Bercy which was you know his his goal coming into this week you know it wasn't just to get practice for uh for the ATP finals but you know it was to try and win a tournament he'd never won before but uh yeah that indoor hardcore is still a still a bit of a tricky uh opponent for Rafa he's still not quite um as formidable on this surface uh, as as on others and i think you know it is the first like, he doesn't play much on indoor hard you know there's not that many indoor hard events paris is typically you know the first one that he would play in in a given year and it's also a makeshift court you know it's not like a regular hard court that's um you know, just got a roof over like, you know, like Arthur Ashe Stadium, for example, you know, these are courts that are just kind of purpose built. So I think there's also a bit of a difference between those sorts of things. 
um, you know, it's not an outdoor event that's become indoor. It is a pure indoor hardcore. And that's always been his his nemesis, I suppose, in terms of surfaces. Yeah, he didn't he didn't look great, if I'm being honest. Um, I know I know this was a, a tune up. And yes, he wanted to kind of go out and win the event because he's not won it before. But he didn't really look great. Even I think even in victory, um, you know, this week, uh, particularly against kind of Feliciano Lopez. I mean, that was a very tight three setter. I think could have gone either way. Carreño Buster as well. Um, very tight, you know, first couple of sets. And um, yeah, he was not, you know, even though kind of the scoreline was tight between him and, and Zverev in the, the semi-final, Zverev really just had a bit too, bit, bit too much to, um, to offer. Um, but yeah, it is interesting because it's, you know, indoor hard. It, it generally does feel like Nadal's you know, Achilles heel. Yes, there are not that many indoor hard court tournaments, um, you know, and also I think, you know, they, they tend to come at the, point in the season where Nadal you know in the past has had injuries so he's almost not had the opportunity to be able to kind of perform like on this surface um interestingly I was kind of reading him he's only ever won once a a tournament once on an indoor hard court which is all the way back in 2005 in Madrid when it when it was when it was on a hard court yeah but that would have been I'm just trying to think. I suppose that's when it was played in November, wasn't it? So they would have, yeah, had the roof because obviously the Kaja Magico, or however you say it, um, that that <laughs> does have, you know, it's a roof that can be open and closed. But I suppose that they would have been fully, fully closed. Then, God, that is such a long time ago, isn't it, Joel? Right at the start <laughs> of his career, to be honest with you. Just going back to that kind of thousand wins. I think what's so amazing about that is that, um, you know, he's won. He's won 445 of those on a clay court, which just shows you that even though he does have like an Achilles heel, arguably, it's probably a very small Achilles heel compared to, you know, what one of his greatest strengths is. And the fact that I love the the the, the simple maths here, he's won 100 matches at Roland Garros, 10% of his, his <laughs> tour level wins have come up has come have come at Roland Garros so I mean it is it is an incredible achievement it's just very it's just one of those quirks isn't it that you know when it comes to indoor hard it's just not it's just not it's just not able to perform and kind of this week I just kind of felt you know just you know if you look at his like forehand particularly I think like it's just not as it just doesn't look as devastating and damaging and as impactful really as like on uh, on other surfaces um and you know, it just it just feels like this, the almost like the the court nullifies it before it gets to the opponent. And then once it gets to the opponent, you know, they're able to kind of do much much more with it versus say, you know, on a clay court. And you know, we'll see kind of how Nadal you know changes his kind of strategy for you know the, the tour finals in in London. But I think he's going he's going to need to because you know if he plays the the tennis he did this week in, in London, Kim, he's probably going to be the player who's going to go over three of the group oh, stages. no, I know, because, you know, <laughs> it's a bit of a step up, you know, no offence to Feliciano Lopez uh, or Jordan Thompson, but it's a bit of a step up, isn't it, from them to, you know, the world's top eight. So, yeah, I'm hoping that, like, actually, I'm you know, I'm glad that Rafa got through and played, you know, four matches because that is, like, valuable, you know, time on court and practice. So, I was really pleased that he didn't, you know, fall at the first hurdle. But um, yeah, we've got, I mean, we've got the final eight set for for London. So, um, you know, we've got obviously Rafa, we've got Novak, Dominic Team, Medvedev, uh, Tsitsipas, Zverev, uh, Rublev and uh, Diego Schwartzman is the the last candidate in that, that final eight. And that was because I think 
Pablo Carreno Busta lost to Rafa. I think that that kind of decided it. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty good lineup. I think it's a very open field, actually. I I I wouldn't be too surprised if if any one of those eight won. I mean, maybe I'd be more surprised if if Rafa won. I don't know. Um, yeah, who, who's your money on? I mean, we'll do a proper preview, but just initial thoughts at this stage. Who do you think's gonna gonna be taking that title home? My initial thoughts, Kim, is like, I'm just glad there's an ATP Tour <laughs> yeah. final, to be honest. Because, you know, we had moments in this season where we didn't even think, we didn't even think this was going ahead. And, you know, the fact that we've got such an excellent, excellent field, really, I think this is a really stellar lineup, um, assuming they all make it to, to London. Um, you know, you've got the defending champion in, in Sissipas, you know, Novak Djokovic, I feel like will go in as the favorite. But I mean, even saying that his form, in Vienna wasn't that great. I mean, he had a really random, uh, you know, loss to uh, Sonigo. Um, you know, it, it feels like it could be, yeah, it, it definitely feels like it's a very open draw. And I would not be surprised to see someone like, um, someone not from Nadal team or Djokovic win it. Um, I, I I quite like, I, I do think Zverev is in, a pretty good position right now. I think he's just, he's just, it's just ability on the tennis court, particularly on indoor court. It's just, it's just something about his game that he's able to, that's, that is able to make him, um, you know, yeah, win on an indoor hard court. And it's, I think it's the level of aggression he's able to bring his ground strokes, um, his lack of double faults recently, um, has really kind of created this perfect storm, really, that I think he, I think is the info sort of if you're going kind of on form, I think he's the kind of the the favourite. So I think I think for me Zverev, I think is going in as the one as the one to beat. What, what do you? Yeah, what do you think? no, I, I agree. I think also with everything that's going on, maybe he feels emboldened to kind of prove things to to people. Um, I think on obviously Andre Rublev, you know, has has great form. You know, he lost to Stan uh, Wawrinka this week in Paris, but. I, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to match might do up. In the world of good. Yeah, it might do because yeah. I think he was probably a bit, you know, tired. <laughs> he's played so much tennis, but I'm intrigued to see, you know, how he's going to fare when he does get to the, the kind of the the cut and thrust of the tour, and you know, he's right up at the top against the the, the big players. But you know, I, I certainly think he could, uh, you know, get through to the the semis. But yeah, I think I think Zverev, and I mean, you'd never rule out Djokovic, would you? So. He could just go and absolutely no. blitz his way through the field, and I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at all. But yeah, we'll be doing a proper preview uh, once the draw uh, for the groups has been, um, you know, unveiled. So it's just a bit of a shame, Joel, from a personal perspective, isn't it? Because this is the last time it's in London, and obviously there's no fans allowed, so we can't really do anything to kind of, you know, give it one last hurrah. And, you know, I've had some good, um, good moments of that tournament over the years, so it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, we met. We, we met did. there, didn't we? Yes, did we meet at yeah. the, we did. We met at the tour finals. So yeah, the part it's. I mean, it's it's forever. You know, it's forever uh, encased in in the passing shot history. But um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, yeah, it's it's a great event. It's a shame that yeah, there's there's going to be no there's going to be no fans there. I mean, I'm sure the ATP are going to are slightly disappointed with that as well. The fact it's the 50th anniversary year as well, they would want to give it you know a, a great send off. But I think the fact is the fact that we have 
a tour finals. I mean, the the women don't have a, a tour finals. Um, the fact that we've kind of got one and, and, and we are able to look forward to it, I think we should almost kind of be just be uh, just be blessed we've 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 got that. Yeah, absolutely. And I shall be glued to the telly watching it uh, whilst I'm <laughs> supposed to be working. Uh, but yeah, just before we have a break, Joel, um, we should just mention that in Paris this week, Felix Ojeolosi. Oliasim, Aliasim. I'm just changing his name. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, FAA. Um, he reached a final and he actually won it. So uh, amazing! Yeah, he, he won the doubles alongside Hubert Herkaj. They saved five championship points to beat um, Mate Pavic and Bruno Suarez. So um, yeah, great week for them. They beat four, I think, of the top ranked doubles pairs to kind of clinch that title. You know, Kubot Mello, uh, Venus and Piers, um, Sabios and Farah. Like they were, they were, you know, beating some really decent doubles players. So um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm pleased for him. Really pleased for for FAA. <laughs> Team Hulix, I think, is what uh, Twitter was anointing <laughs> anointing them. Um, but yeah, it, I think obviously the question is, can he can he take that doubles win and translate it in the sing into the singles game? I'm just I'm just glad he's won a final. I'm just glad he's won a final. But um, yeah, he'll be able to have a chance. He'll have a crack at that in in Sofia. But um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break now. But I hope you can join us in the second half where we'll be talking Nick Kyrgios and as well as looking ahead to that draw in Sofia as well as. Liz this is the passing shot and you're joined by joel and kim and we are going to move on to one of the staples of the show kim we're going to move on first of all to mysterious mysterious player and this time it is my turn to give you a set of clues about a mysterious player for which you will no doubt do better than than I do basically any time you ask and basically any time it's it's me to uh to do the answers you're going to do you're going to do better well do better. maybe but maybe i just make my clues like way too difficult you know like that quiz we did <laughs> once and i my questions i think were a bit intense but i don't know <laughs> anyway what have you got for me joel <laughs> Okay, right. Are you yeah, are you ready? Go for it. Right. First clue. I was born on the thirtieth of August, nineteen seventy nine. Oh, they're old, older. I should say. <laughs> oh, hang on. Actually, older, are they only older. a bit older than Roger Federer? Okay, because um, my knowledge of like slightly younger players is probably a bit better. But actually, what they're they're like forty, forty one. Okay. Yeah, I think that's correct. Okay, right. Um, Yep, next. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I have a career-high singles ranking of 15, which I achieved in August 2004. I've, I've gone slightly <laughs> back in time here. Uh, Mario Anchit? Oh, do you know, that is, that is not I a bad I think he might have been high. I think incorrect. he was like four in the world, wasn't he? Okay. Tommy Robredo. No, he was top 10. Right, sorry. Carry on. I mean, you're definitely in the right sort of right okay, sort of great. era. Um, okay, um, and and right gender oh, as well. Okay. I'll say. Um, I reached the quarterfinals of the French Open in 2004 and 2011, mm. as well as the US Open in 2007. Oh, that's random. 2011. That's one. I mean, I wasn't really following the French Open in 04, but I would have been in 11. <sighs> it's 
it's like similar to Tommy Robredo, isn't it? It's like one of those sorts of, um, oh, is it a, like a Spanish player with like, oh, oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, and, and the US Open. Oh, it's not uh, like Eugenie. No, no, I'm sure he's been top 10. Yeah, not okay. not Eugenie, um, not Eugenie. Yeah, next clue. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. My most success sorry, my most successful surface is clay where I've won six titles as well as f- reached four other finals. Oh. Um hmm. So you can, you can guess sort of or what- South American. Um, yes. I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, surprise, surprise. I want to say, like, Daniel Jimeno Traver, but he wouldn't. <laughs> he, I don't think he won that I many mean, times. Be... <laughs> and I don't think he ever's got to 14 in the world no. either. It's someone. Oh, it's not Guillermo Garcia Lopez, is it? Oh. I, oh. Incorrect. It's incorrect. like of that, that vein. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's the Argentinian. Um, or. Oh, is it not Lewis Horner or someone like that Peruvian guy? No, not, Lu- not Lewis Horner. Is it Chilean? No, because no, we've had Massive and good. No. Um, oh, next clue. Next clue, Joel. <laughs> okay. Despite my best showing in the singles at Wimbledon being round two, I managed to reach the semi finals in the doubles in 2010 with my compatriot. Eduardo Schwank losing to Robert Lindstedt and Horiat Takao. Oh, Eduardo Schwank was Argentinian, I think, or is Argentinian. Or I, I was going to say Alejandro Fire, but um, I think he was Colombian. Colombian. Yeah, because he almost beat Roger Federer <laughs> like one year at Wimbledon in the first mm-hmm. round. Oh gosh, so this is an Argentinian player. Oh. That is Not correct. Not Nalbandian, obviously. Um, who else did they have around that time? Not Nalbandian. Oh, and then obviously not Del Potro, but someone else. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Juan Ignacio Chela. Well done. <laughs> well done. Correct. Did, didn't correct. he come up in like, conversation recently? Or isn't he coaching someone now? I think. Um, he's in the eight. He's at the age that he would uh, the, of like a classic sort of I think coach. He is. Isn't he? I'm sure I read um, something. I think he's coaching someone now. Um, listeners, you'll probably know, uh, or someone will know. But I'm I'm sure I read that he's like maybe coaching a female player or something. I don't know. I have to Google all that. <laughs> Interestingly, Kim, um, his two losses at the French Open, I said, were in 2004 and 2011, in the um, both in the quarterfinals. What's interesting about that, particularly for British fans, he lost to Tim Henman <laughs> at the quarterfinals in 2004, and then he lost to Andy Murray in the quarterfinals in 2011. Oh, wow. So the Brits are mm. derailing him big time. Oh. I know. Yeah, He's um, quite a, a sort yeah. of um, um, tall uh, 
a thin sort of player, wasn't he? Didn't really have much like yeah. muscular oomph behind mm. him, did he? But um... no, he always played with a baseball cap backwards yeah. as well, which was a, another clue I, I was going to give. Mm. But um, yeah, it was uh, Juan Ignacio Chaler. To be honest, my memories of him uh, growing up watching tennis on TV tv was was him losing to tim Hinman. <laughs> i just always always remember that matchup and always thinking i need to check their head to head but i'm certain like tim Hinman was like constantly was able to beat him but um but yeah uh listeners let us know how you did did you get juan ignacio shayla before kim did uh be interested to know but um yeah let's let's move on kim because we we have a question from the passing shop mailback don't we, we do yeah thanks to joe who got in touch with us on twitter um question from joe was what do you think about the lack of comment from tennis players regarding olga sharipova's allegations against sasha zverev I've always been proud of Murray for standing up for women, but the silence from both tours is deafening. Is tennis a sport where men still come first? It's a great question, and yeah, we haven't we haven't really heard uh, any of other players speak out apart apart from I think Gavrilova on the women's side. Um, it's been quite uh, abundantly clear that there, there's not really any other players talking about you know what's been going. I mean, where do you stand on that, Joel? It's almost a, it's almost a bit surprising because Gavrilova is, uh, from what I know, is the only player who's come out on Twitter um, really with any sort of sort of um, you know s- stance and, and viewpoint. We've not seen anyone kind of come out in Zverev's defence, or we've not seen anyone else come out, um, you know, in in Sharipova's defence. And you know, it does feel like the you know tennis as a conversation has you know, there are definitely off-court things, you know, being spoken about at the moment. And we're going to be coming on to, for example, Nick Kyrgios and talking about uh, mental health. And it feels like, unfortunately, you know, domestic, uh, you know, domestic violence. We've seen this, I think, as an issue with, you know, particularly with other sports. You know, I, I think you know, things like in American sports, for example, like, you know, NFL, unfortunately, it's it feels like an issue with, you know, players there. And um, if it is something that is, you know, in the kind of the tennis world, it does feel, you know, it does feel a lot sort of surprising, but I think almost kind of expected that, you know, players don't want to get attached or giving, you know, giving their point of view, you know, on a story, I think that is still developing, you know, there's still, I think, you know, lots of, you know, information still kind of unraveling, um, you know, even in the, you know, the interview with Ben, Ben Rothenberg, Ben Rothenberg, Sharapova, Sharapova, sorry. Sharapova. Oh gosh, that adds a whole new di- element into it. <laughs> But I was going to say, even Sharipova was saying, like, you know, I've got more to tell, but, you know, not not at this point, uh, you know, in time. And I just feel kind of, you know, players at the moment, they're just not ready to kind of, you know, make a make a commitment, even if, you know, Murray, for example, is a you know great campaigner of, of lots of different themes, um, you know, taking that into kind of the personal domain of a player feels a definitely a. It, it definitely feels like a, a greater step. Yeah, um, I agree. And also, I think a, a, a separate step as well. I think you can can campaign for these things, but not necessarily get involved in the like the personal disputes. And I feel like that would be the almost kind of the, the barrier that would be crossed. And I and I feel like players don't want to get don't want to get involved. Yeah, in I that. completely agree. Like if it was something more directly linked to what's happening on court, you know, or prize money and scheduling, those sorts of things, I think, you know, like we'd see obviously players, you know, they have been getting involved and such like, but when it comes like to a purely like when I say purely personal, it's it's not purely personal in the sense that obviously it has ramifications for 
you know millions of women around the world but um it, it's something that you know they don't know the ins and outs of it so they're they're not going to get involved unnecessarily and and cause you know extra <laughs> extra hassle for themselves by making you know judgment statements and comments um but for for joe's question about you know is tennis still dominated by men i i do agree with that i i think that it's still um you know pro pro men um in terms of being completely equal you know we can we've seen that you know with with scheduling and just just attitudes generally and and obviously the 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 the, the new uh ptpa you know not even sort of considering women at its outset and uh you know various things so in terms of that then yes i, I still think you know um that that men still do come first uh but with regards to this issue I'm not surprised that other players haven't, you know, been uh, having their their two cents worth on it. Maybe in time, you know, we'll see that. But um, I think if I was a player right now, I'd probably be keeping Strum as well, just because it's such a personal thing. Um, But I mean, you know, great question. Thank you for getting in touch, Joe. And listeners, if you've got any other questions for us uh, for future episodes, do do let us know. We love to tackle them and uh, yeah, keep them coming. But uh, Joel, as as you mentioned just a minute ago, we've got a bit of Nick Kyrgios news. Uh, he's uh, kind of revealed, hasn't he, uh, recently that, you know, he's been kind of suffering with, with depression and that's kind of what has been affecting him a lot over the last couple of years uh, on the tour, that he's been in a very lonely, dark place and, uh, you know, putting a lot of pressure on himself, losing the joy for the game. You know, I'm sort of quoting him uh, more or less from an interview that he gave. And I think, you know, that probably explains a lot of the behaviour that we've seen from him. Um, you know, he's obviously been having his his battles. And I think it's actually really good that he's come out and explicitly stated that. I think, you know, people, I think, you know, there's more and more people being you know, open and honest about mental health now and, it just, I think people admit, you know, if you can publicly admit, you know, your vulnerabilities and, and be open about these things, I just think it's a real big help to so many people and it just normalizes it, doesn't it? And it makes you think, well, actually, you know, you know, I've been going through something similar. Okay. I don't feel, feel quite so weird or alone, you know, for feeling this way because that's actually a lot more common than you think. And kind of, I think, yeah, I, I just hope he's getting the help that, the help that he needs. I hope that, you know, when he does feel like he's ready to return to the tour, that he can feel like he can play from a better position mentally. Yeah, because he, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, at length some of the kind of the situations that he found himself in. And he described an incident in, in Shanghai where he, he didn't want to see the light of day. And, you know, I think you've got to remember, like, the tour, the tour is, a, you know, it's an unforgiving schedule. And, you know, it can, I'm sure, you know, for players, it probably can feel quite, you know, quite lonely at times. And, um, you know, I think, you know, having these sorts of, you know, players like Kyrgios come out and talk about mental health, I think is really good because I think this is, you know, an aspect of the tour that doesn't really, um, you know, I think get, um, you know, put on in the spotlight, um, you know, as much. And, um, you know, Kyrgios talks about the fact that he began to see, you know, a psychologist in, in 2018. And, you know, for me, this is almost kind of showing like the, the modern game now, nowadays in tennis, but I was thinking other sports as well. 
there's been a big emphasis a big push on kind of the the mental the mental side of the game alongside the you know the physical side and you know I, I do always kind of wonder whether you know uh, you know obviously top players players who have you know lots of prize money and endorsements etc can afford you know someone like a psychologist to bring into their team and and help them kind of you know work on the you know the mental side of the game and being able to deal with you know all the kind of tour commitments i wonder whether you know if men, you know, men, the fact that mental health is becoming a, a bigger kind of conversation, you know, should the, you know, the governing bodies like, you know, the ATP, the WTA, you know, should they be looking at their tour and thinking, hey, you know, this is a, yeah, we know that this is a very demanding schedule and, you know, players can choose, pick and choose what tournaments they want to, you know, to play in. But you know, at the same time, I think, you know, maybe for the, uh, you know, the the lower ranked players who might not be able to afford to have you know, a psychologist, you know, on their team, for example, maybe they should be able to have some sort of opportunity to to kind of go someone to help, to, you know, to help, you know, make sure that they're kind of mentally, um, you know, mentally fresh and mentally and mentally strong. Because, you know, I can't, I can't imagine there are other, um, you know, I, I imagine, sorry, that there are other players like Kiros who have gone through kind of the, the same motions, but I just almost kind of, haven't kind of voiced their you know haven't voiced their voiced their story uh, you know at the moment absolutely i mean the tour is brutal for so many players you know not everyone has the luxury of having you know their family travel with them or you know friends and a team around them you know people can't afford that so i think yeah like like they have tournament physios they they should certainly have more kind of like you know a lot of workplaces now have you know mental health first aiders like uh, counseling services that i mean I think there is certain elements of this in place, but I definitely think there could be, you know, across both tours, um, a real drive to kind of make these services, you know, much more approachable and open to players of, of all rankings and, um, you know, levels of, of the tour. So, yeah, I think, you know, having the top players speak out and, and lead the way on this would be like fantastic for facilitating that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great that, you know, Nick's come out and, and actually said that and you know we might see you know I know there's been a lot of criticism towards him myself included you know um for the way he's behaved on the court of, of you know in recent years but I, I always felt you know that there was like obviously issues within him that he needed to sort out and I think you know um now that he's sort of publicly addressing that I think you know there'll be a lot more understanding and I think certainly I think we'd you know hopefully see his his behavior changed, but he just obviously needed like a release for it. It's, you know, it, it needs expression. And yeah, I mean, it, that's like a positive step. Um, so yeah, good, good on Nick for, for coming out and saying that. And, um, well, another player, Joel, that, uh, has come out and, uh, made some, some news this week, I suppose is, is a certain Mr. Roger Federer, who's back on a, back in a tennis score, back to work as he, as he put out on social media. So um, I quite liked his, his photo, actually. It was quite a scenic uh, scenic view of him on the court there. I thought it was quite quite nice. You have the, the autumnal leaves behind him. So, yeah, I mean, obviously great for Fed fans. Their man's back on a tennis court. Uh, it, it's been such a long time, hasn't it, since I feel like we've seen him that I, it's, I don't really know what to expect from him going forwards. And, you know, 2021, obviously his big big manoeuvre is, is the Olympics and 
well, we'll have to wait and see what what occurs. I know. I mean, this is just you know, this is just the very start. I mean, he if we we fully expect him to be back next season. Um, you know, we hope to see him in Australia competing at the Australian Open. Um, I mean, obviously, this photo is 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 getting Fed fans. It's getting I think tennis fans in general just kind of a bit excited about the fact that Roger Federer will be. It looks like playing tennis you know, next season. I mean, Kim, like realistically, what, what, what can we expect from him, you know, coming back from surgery, injury, you know, for, you know, another time is 2021. Is this going to be his, his swan song? You said, you know, you mentioned the Olympics. Does that feel like, you know, that's going to be where he's going to retire? You know, he's never won a gold medal. Is that what, is that what his ambition is? Is that what's keeping him going? What, what can we, what do you think we can expect from, from Federer in, in 2021? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he went and won, you know, another slam. I, 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 I think him winning Olympic gold is, is quite an ambitious target. Um, I mean, I hope the Olympics happen. <laughs> Imagine if they get delayed again. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, I really don't know. I think if he's out there having fun, enjoying it, not putting too much pressure on himself, I think, I think that's going to be key is just kind of letting him go with the flow and see, see where, you know, he feels it. I, j- I just feel like he, if he puts more pressure on himself, he's going to maybe get a bit tight but if he just goes out there and thinks yeah I'm just gonna have a blast you know be be lucky to, to be playing again you know he's had this surgery and come out the other side and yeah won't really know what to expect but I hope we see him back back down under at the start of next year and yeah it's um you know that'll be a, a something for for us to get our teeth into when when we kick off again for the next season but I mean Joel just to end today we've got you know two kind of well Three tournaments left, I suppose, in total. Sophia, Lintz, and the world, the world tour finals. And uh, we've got Sophia the and tour, Lintz ATP taking place. tour finals, Kim. It's not called the world tour finals anymore. <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh. Damn, damn. Sorry, <laughs> I've <been> literally. <laughs> it's ingrained in me. I know, honestly, I, I was like, I genuinely, I, I was just trying to bite my tongue every time I was trying going to say World Tour oh, Finals is the oh, right. <laughs> No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's fine. Um but yeah, no, we oh, do dear. we have yeah, we have Sophia Sophia on the ATP side, two fifty event um coming up this week. Um top two seeds, Battle of Battle of Canada. We've got Denis Shapovalov and Ogier Aliasim as number one and number two seeds. De Menor is there as well. Um yeah be I'll be interested to see I've I mean round one just kind of looking at the draw very quickly Fushkovitz versus Sinner could be it's quite a tasty one um Ooh. you know John Millman mm. could, could potentially be a job I could be a dark horse I think given you know his um efforts recently but um yeah it'd be good to see Ojeel Asim I think break that singles trophy duck um if if he can do it and what better way to do it than if you could beat your compatriot Shapovalov in the final <laughs> Oh, Joel, he's got your favourite, Salvatore Caruso, potentially in the second <laughs> round. So uh, I bet you'll be you'll be looking out for that one. Um, yeah, I'm looking out for Sinner. I hope he's sort of um, fit again after he had to retire um, last week. But, um, well, the week before last. Um, but yeah, um, we've got Lintz, of course, for the, for the ladies. Sabalenka is headlining that field and Elise Mertens. They are the top two seeds. Coco Goff, interestingly, hasn't decided to defend uh, her title from last year. Um, apart from that, Joel, it's, it's not the, 
the highest quality field you know no offense to everyone involved but um a lot of the top ladies have decided i guess just to curtail their season not go to lintz um which you know is is fair dues so uh we also had i think sabine de Sicky was was in qualies for for lintz I but, know. Uh, you know a, a blast from the past but she she's failed to qualify yeah so it's a bit of a shame i think she's gone right down in, in the rankings now um unfortunately but uh yeah kim i'm i'm just amazed she's still playing tennis i she was completely off my radar and then she just popped up on my uh on my on my live scores app but um yeah we'll see we'll see how we'll see how people get on in in lins um we'll be reporting on that next week in our next podcast um our next podcast will be a world tour finals proper preview uh, the draw, tour finals Oh, I said it. I said it. I, <laughs> you, you said I caught it. the bug from you. Sorry. <laughs> um, the, sorry. The tour finals draw uh, comes out on Thursday. So we're hoping to do a little preview of that. Uh, probably, hopefully, on, on Thursday evening. We'll also give updates on Sophia and Linz in that. So I hope you can join us for that. Um, in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to us on wherever you listen to The Passing Shot, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to us, make sure you click that subscribe button. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at PassingShotPod. And you can also contact us via email. Our email is PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Uh, so do get in touch. We love to you know, hear your thoughts and any feedback, any questions for our mailbag. Do let us know because we do love to, to you know, hear from everyone and get engaged with uh, everything that's going on in, in the world of tennis. Yes. So uh, we will be back next, uh, probably Thursday evening to do a preview um, of the ATP Tour Finals once the draw has been announced. But before that, what we will also be doing is dropping a special announcement podcast, probably on uh, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday um, next week. Um, it's really, it's a really important topic uh, for us uh, and for the for the show. Um, we've got something really kind of special. We're kind of lining up particularly um, for the off season. So we're going to do a little announcement of that um, early next week. So I hope you can join us for that announcement. We'll be looking to put out on Tuesday. Uh, You won't want to miss it. It's uh, yeah, it's something that's very kind of close and important to us. Um, But for now, uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot and we will see you again soon. Thank you and goodbye. Joel, I, I see you're growing a bit of a moustache. Is this for uh, for November or is it a homage to Alex de Menor or, or Jordan Thompson or something? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't or really Dan going Evans, through my mind, even. actually. Well, Dan Evans, yeah. No, uh, yeah, no, genuinely, I um, yeah, I was hoping to do my bit for, for November. But yeah, I have realised that I've got a bit of a Jordan, a Jordan Thompson tash. Jordan Thompson tash going on. I still think his <laughs> is better, but... But maybe by the end of the month, maybe by the end of the month, I'll be able to give him a better run for his money.